Good morning to you. I want to uh, I want to talk about change today. Is this on um, or not? Or in the words of David Bowie, ch ch changes. <laughs> or in the words of Cheryl Crow, I think a change a change would do you good. Or in the words of John Mayer, so we keep waiting, waiting on the, yeah. But Michael Jackson said, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Or Dixie Chicks, well, I've been afraid of changing because I built my life around you, but time makes you bolder. Even children get older, and I'm getting older too. <laughs> Which is so, so true. Bastille said, changes on our hands and on our faces, oh, oh. <laughs> and finally, the head and the heart, been talking about the way things change. So I want to talk about the way things change today. And three words just have been spinning that change is inevitable, change is intentional, and change is incremental. It's inevitable because who you are is not who you were, is not who you will be. Change is inevitable because we are not static. Biologically, um, according to researchers at Stanford a few years ago, our, uh, our cells continue to, to change. Studies that went back into the 50s where they actually injected radioactive material into live people in order to trace how cells replicate. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> science. Um, they discovered that the body replaces itself, itself with a large, largely a, a new set of cells every seven to 10 years. And some replicate faster than that. Um, they found that on average, 98% of the atoms inside your body are replaced each year, which is crazy to think about, right? That your skin cells rejuvenate every two to four weeks. Uh, your lungs, your lungs are about six weeks old. Your taste buds about 10 days old. Your brain chemistry changes as well. Neuroplasticity says that when you change your mind, you actually change the wiring of, in your brain. And our, our bodies change. I went from two-hour practices every day throughout high school and college to playing a pickup game of basketball once a year at men's retreat. And, <laughs> and things just aren't the same, you know? <laughs> I never had mad athletic skills, but I was quick. And now my brain says, go do this. And my body is like the slow motion feature on your iPhone. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. So physiologically, it's inevitable that we change. But also our perspectives and our opinions and our knowledge, our ideas, our worldview, our identity, even aspects of our theology continue to change. So the question is not whether we will change. The question is how? How will we change? A better question is who are we becoming? We tend to think about change in terms of external things, like I wish my 
bank account would change, or I wish our, my geography would change, or marital status, or inbox, or health. We wish our circumstances would change. But the change that is most needed is the change that is within us. John Maxwell said, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. So change is inevitable, but change, the kind of change that Christ is calling us to is also intentional. Dallas Willard in The Revolution of the Heart said, the revolution of Jesus is in the first place renovation of the heart, not revolution of the heart. The revolution of Jesus is in the first place a continuously and continuously a revolution of the human heart or spirit. His is a revolution of character, which proceeds by changing people from the inside through ongoing personal relationship to God in Christ and to one another. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is one that changes their ideas, beliefs, feelings, and habits of choice, as well as their bodily tendencies and social relationships. It penetrates to the deepest layers of, not the air soul, that's a typo. The air soul, we're gonna talk about the air soul today. It's a new concept I just thought of. The deepest layers, I don't know why air is there. Their soul, yeah. Their soul. <laughs> just different. It changes people from the, from the inside. And that's really the intentionality of this change. Um, so I, I want to just come at that from lots of different uh, scriptures today. And I'm going to put those on the screen so that we can kind of, kind of go through that together. But just to start with, what is the possibility for change? What is, what is the goal? What is the impetus of change? Uh, Leah and I are big fans of the show Fixer Upper. And actually, uh, Stephen, Stephen Cruz um, has been in the hospital this week. So does anybody know? Did he get out last night? Good. Is he here? Okay, because I was going to send him home. Uh, he's, he's recovering from some, his stay in the hospital. But we went in to see him, and, and Chip and JoJo were on the screen as he, we walked in. It's like Fixer Upper. If you haven't seen it, shame on you, because it's a great show. But the concept is um, that they take an, uh, this old house, and they, um, they bring in a couple... And it's reality TV, so a lot of it's staged, but still it's fun. And the couple looks at two or three houses, and they have to pick which one. And inevitably, they walk into a house, and the house is just like straight out of 1963, or it's kind of crumbling. And, and Chip and JoJo say, what do you think? And they say, well, I don't like the color of the wall, you know? Or those cabinets look a little dated. And it's like, yeah. And they've got to say something, but they know that the whole point of the show is not just to paint the wall, right? They're going to knock that wall out. They're going to completely gut the place. 
And so when we think about the renovation of our own heart and we think about the change that happens inside, God doesn't want to just paint a wall. He wants to gut the place in order to move in and to build this life that looks more and more and more like Jesus. And so what is the goal of this change? Do we see problems? Do we see uh, triggers? Do we, do we see things that, yes, that needs changed? But do we try to hide that? Or do we try to pretend? Or do we just kind of give up? Or can we have the perspective of walking into the house of our soul, not looking at it from uh, the naivete of this new homeowner, but from the expertise of a living God. God's perspective and God's resources and God's expertise that change happens under the lordship of Jesus, not in our ability not in even our own motivation to change ourselves. So it's intentional, but it is intentional in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's intentional that we get to participate with this work that Jesus is doing in our lives. So just when you think about change in your own life, what is the impetus of that? What is the goal of that? What are your hopes? What's the motivation? And really what we've been talking about the last few weeks even as we've gone through the book of Colossians is that change ultimately is around a person, the person of Jesus. It's not around a particular program or a strategy or a 12-step. It's around Jesus. Your primary calling is to Jesus because relationship is the only true catalyst for change. Christ's love compels us, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is what is true of you if you are in Christ, that you are a new creation. Paul says, you've been given the fullness of Christ. He says, you, the old has passed away, the new has come. You have been sanctified. You have been justified. You have been made right. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been crucified in Christ, so it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. But then Paul says, continue to work that out. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, because that's empty religion, but to work out your salvation. So in Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed to the world. This is our participation in this renovation project. This is our participation in change. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
And that's ongoing renewal. By testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces behold, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Holy Spirit is the, the power source of our change. Romans 8 says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. But Galatians says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. But you've been given the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us the capacity to to change in a way that looks more and more like Christ. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew, build up, restore the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So there's an intentionality that comes to this change. What is the goal? What is the destination? And the goal and the destination is to look more and more like Jesus. But the goal and destination that Jesus puts on us is that all of this is going somewhere. That it's not change for change's sake. But it is change to reflect the glory of Jesus and to reflect the work of his kingdom, to reflect the character of Jesus. And we've talked a lot that we are in this in-between stage between the resurrection of Jesus and his return, this not yet now, this, this place of, of God is in the process of restoring all things, including you. And the final restoration, the final consummation of his of his restoration project, of his fixer-upper, is yet to be complete. But we live in the reality of a risen Jesus. And the destination is eternal life with him. And so when you know the destination, when you have a picture of where this is going, it gives us a motivation to keep in the game. Colossians 3.10, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So what's it, th- what's it look like to, to think and to speak and to act in alignment of Jesus? As you think about your own dreams and your own goals for your future and for your life, how do those goals and how do those dreams align with the calling of Jesus on your life? What needs to change for us to be intentional? The last word is incremental. Change is inevitable, so... How are we changing or who are we becoming? And change is intentional with the power and the presence of the Spirit in alignment with Jesus and his word. But change is also incremental. I wanted, if you have a Bible, can you look at Acts 9 with me? 
There are some Bibles at the end of the row if you want one of those as well. I was thinking about like dr- dramatic stories of change throughout Scripture, and um, I think Saul becoming Paul is about as dramatic as it gets. But I was thinking what happened after Saul's dramatic conversion. And so, uh, just to catch you up, if you're, if you're new to the book of Acts, the Act, book of Acts is a story of the, the launch of the church. And so Jesus has done three years of ministry, and he was crucified, and he rose from the dead. And um, a few weeks later, he returned to the Father, but he said, I'm going to send my spirit. When the spirit comes, uh, he's going to uh, launch this church through you. And so his uh, disciples, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, disciples came. Peter preached a sermon, 3,000 got baptized, and the churches started, right? So as we work through the book of Acts, then you see pretty early on that there was persecution. And the, the main person behind that persecution was this zealot kind of guy, this, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, this very very staunch religious guy named Saul. And his whole purpose in his life was to stamp out this new, this new Christianity. And so he started persecuting the church and he started putting people to death. And so Stephen becomes the first martyr. And they threw their cloaks, it says, at the feet of Saul. So Jesus gets the last word as usual, and in Acts chapter 9, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that the way being the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground. And when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And then a guy named Ananias was told by Jesus to come and to minister to Saul. And he baptized him. and, And then... It says in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, this is, this is verse 20, you start to see this, this change lived out in Saul, who will become Paul, right? At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. 
And after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And then, hold that place. I'm going to read this real quick in Galatians chapter 1. This is, this is Paul talking about this time in his life. He said, when God who set me apart from birth and called me by grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. Okay, so see the progression so far? It's like immediately he is, he is like preaching about Jesus. And then he goes to Arabia and later to Damascus for three years. And then back to Acts chapter 9. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but when they tried to kill him, um, when the brothers... But they tried to kill him. But when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So this, this incremental change in Paul is fascinating because right out of the gate, there was a change in in the source of his zeal. There was a change in his work. There was a change in, in uh, he was, um, whatever it took, he was going to stamp out Christianity. And then Jesus appears to him. And immediately he had this change from darkness into light. He had this change of I'm, I'm zealous to stamp out Christianity to I'm zealous to spread it. This is a, an immediate change. But then it plays out over 13 years before he actually starts into these, these mission trips and church planting. And so he spends three years in Arabia and in Damascus. And in those three years, you just have to imagine he was pouring over all of these scrolls that he had poured over since he was a, just a little boy. He had grown up in this rabbinical system where he knew scripture inside and out, but somehow he had missed the point that all scripture pointed to Jesus. And now he had met Jesus. <laughs> And it's, it's, it's blown his mind. So now he's pouring back over all of those scriptures. And now it's all clicking together. All the connections are being made. 
So this incremental change is to look at what we have known and what we have experienced about God and to be blown away by the the reality of Jesus. And then he goes to Jerusalem and and people are trying to kill him. And these, these these same people that he was persecuting, they help him escape. These same people that he was headhunting, that he, he was going after, he's going to throw them in prison and maybe kill them, those become his community. Which is, I think, is another cool, about, cool part about this incremental change is that change always happens in community. Transformation never happens isolated, at least not for the long haul. In the same way that when we sin, it never just affects us so too, growth never happens just with us. And so this community became this community that protected him and this community that uh, became the sandpaper for him, (laughs) that continued to help chip away anything that didn't look like Jesus. And then he's in Jerusalem and things are going splendidly and all of a sudden the Jews start coming after him and they're going to kill him. And so, so the church sneaks him out of town and sends him to Tarsus, which is where he grew up. And I don't know how you feel about the place you grow, grew up, but for most of us, that would just feel like a dagger. Jesus, I, I, have, I have experienced you. I have seen the change in my life. And, and I, I'm ready to go to the ends of the earth for you. I'm ready to have this adventure for you. I'm ready to change the world for you. Okay, go to your hometown for 10 years. It's like, no. It's exactly what happened for, for Paul. In, the, in those 10 years, Jesus was building into him everything that he needed for the long haul. Eventually, he would go to the ends of the earth. Eventually, he would turn the world upside down in the name of Jesus. But it was an incremental change. It was an incremental growth. We hate that. We want the shortcut. We want the microwave, you know? But it doesn't work like that. It is you know, this, this oft-repeated line from Eugene Peterson. It is a, truly a long obedience in the same direction. Construction doesn't work well with shortcuts. Your studying for exams doesn't work well with shortcuts. Strength conditioning, dieting, actually driving most of the time that doesn't work well with shortcuts. You can't have fruit without roots. And you can't grow roots overnight. 
you have to dig deep. You have to give room. You have to give space. You have to give time. You have to give nurturing and cultivation. And if, this, if that's true with vegetables and flowers and trees, um, it's absolutely true with the change and renovation of your heart. George MacDonald wrote, in whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. Whatever we try to do without God will fail miserably or we will succeed even more miserably <laughs> because any success won't truly be success, which is even more traumatic. Again, Dallas Willard wrote, spiritual formation in Christ is an orderly process. Although God can triumph in disorder, that's not his choice. And instead of focusing upon what God can do, we must humble ourselves to accept the way, ways he has chosen to work with us. These are clearly laid out in the Bible and especially in the words and person of Jesus. Second Corinthians 4 says the inner man is being renewed daily. So we, we can't rush the process of transformation. Excuse my allergies. I'm sorry. It's annoying for all of us. <laughs> Uh, this is really graphic, but if you try to open up a cocoon before it's completely matured, you don't get a butterfly. You get a gooey mess. And um, that is kind of what happens to us spiritually as well. Patrick Morley said, conversion to faith in Christ takes place instantly, but conversion to obedience takes time. I want to uh, think about that, the, the inevitability and the intentionality and the incremental nature of your own growth, of your own change. And as we lead into communion, I, I want us to uh, really focus on one more passage of Scripture together. It's Hebrews 12.1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and if you read Hebrews 11, you'll see that cloud of witnesses, which is a really cool passage. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, <clears throat> and sat down at the right hand of God. To run the race marked out before us with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who truly is the destination and goal of our life. But to know that he is both the author and the perfecter, Romans says everything is from him and 
for him, but also through him. That he is the one that, that invited us in the first place on this journey. That he is the one that is absolutely with us every step of the way. That he is the one, that he is our destination. That his glory, that his kingdom, that his promises, that his, his eternity, that is the whole point. And so we inevitably are being changed. But the more we come under the rule and the authority of this loving, loving Jesus... the more our lives actually make sense. Our ch the change is purposeful because it's ultimately not about us. So to run with a, a long view, to keep our eyes fixated on Jesus, to concentrate on him. Lord, we thank you We thank you that you um, are the, both the, the way and the means of this change. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us an intentionality, that you would give us um, the subtle or not so subtle confrontation of your spirit to look at our lives and just to simply ask, who are we living for? Thank you for your grace that is sufficient to not only save us, but your grace is sufficient to infuse us with the power and to infuse us with the motivation and the truth to live out every day as if you are the only one that matters because you are. So we don't want to just change for change's sake. We want to change to become more like you, Jesus. And we just come to you just admitting our uh, absolute um, failure to do that on our own. So thank you for this invitation to invite you into the door to give you run of the place to participate with this remodeling project. Lord, thank you that your grace is sufficient to forgive, to cleanse, but your grace is also sufficient to sanctify. And so we just claim your grace today. We take this communion uh, in full awareness that it is by your grace that we're saved and not by works, but that that grace compels us 
toward holiness, that grace compels us toward purity, that grace compels us toward not segmenting our lives off, but to give you complete lordship. And so we just want to do that today. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for an empty tomb. And thank you for the life that you have given us through Christ. And we celebrate that today in Jesus' name.